Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show week after week, listening to my voice. And for all the new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. I hope you'll continue listening to me. I'm so excited to introduce today's guests because when we first met and spoke, there was just such a joyous energy radiating from her. We have a lot in common as former college athletes, and so I definitely might be a little biased when I when I talk about the energy coming from her, but I, I truly believe she's a, just a wonderful and very light-filled person. I have on today Maya McClendon. She's the founder of Time Out. Time Out is an app designed to specifically aid athletes and other high-pressure performers with tools to aid in bettering their mental health. I know she started with traditional athletics, but is looking to move into esports athletes, and I think we all know what a competitive environment that is, so we'll definitely talk about that. But Maya, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself. Give the audience a bit of your backstory. Fill in anything that I might have missed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um really look up to you and, and what you're doing in this space. I've listened to a couple of, of the past episodes and just am so proud um, of the conversations that are going on. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you kind of mentioned I'm a former student athlete. Um, I come from a family of athletes. My sister is a professional volleyball player. My dad played a little pro basketball and I have two younger brothers who are fantastic. I love to compete. I probably have played seven different sports since the age of two. I was in ballet, I played soccer, I, you know, played lacrosse in high school, just, you know, loved to really enjoy my my art form of expressing myself through play, which ultimately led me to get a scholarship at the University of Louisville, um, and then transfer to Arizona State. I say I, I'm an athlete, but I'm also a huge nerd. Um, <laughs> pre-med psych, absolutely loved research and just diving into the minds and bodies of people uh, just to really, you know, harp on one of my my self-proclaimed skills of, of just deep, unapologetic empathy, trying to understand how to heal those around me and, and really, you know, create a safe space for people to express themselves. So it started off with the need to be a doctor, right? The, this deep urge to be a doctor after my post-collegiate career. And that transformed after um, a tragedy um, into what I'm doing now, which, you know, was the death of a teammate. And I, I'm sure we'll go deeper into that. Um, but yeah, that's that's a little bit of a background about about me. With that in mind, let's get into, and you've already mentioned this a little bit, but why you created Timeout and how it actually works. Absolutely. So like I said, I was pre-med psych. That's what I got my degree in. And at the University of Louisville, what led me to transfer was a personal mental health crisis that I really hid from a lot of people. I was a starter. I was a captain and, you know, an upperclassman and just really navigated that space on my own. And when I transferred, changing my major to psychology from biology really opened my eyes to the power of understanding basics, the basics of psychology, biopsychosocial study. And it it really helped me emerge out of that dark place. But, you know, a year later, as I was studying for the MCAT, you know, my friend taking her life just made me realize that I was lucky 
to have had that education. And I was thinking, you know, what would the sports world look like if we had just the fundamentals, right? If we just, instead of calling ourselves weak or crazy, we could think, oh, you know, I just have this background or element or risk factor that I I can overcome just like, you know, weak ankles or weak knees or other genetic factors. I really couldn't move forward with med school. I was stuck talking to other friends who had competed and are still professional athletes. And I was like, you know, I wish I just had an app. Like, I just wish I had something in my hand that I could pull up any time and no one would know. And it was just something that I could always go back to on my own time. And I started drawing the wireframes. I downloaded every single mental health app that was out there in 2017 and came up with the name Timeout. <laughs> it's like t- Timeout, take a timeout for mental health. And what originally started off as just a mental health app for athletes has transformed into something bigger today. Those original features that were meant to overcome the barriers of help seeking and reduce stigma um, and suicide risk factors, you know, we understood that there's a whole sports athletic ecosystem. And it's not just the athletes in it, it's the licensed providers, it's the coaches. So we also developed another application for licensed providers. And those two applications communicate to each other in real time uh, while sending data to a dashboard that only the timeout team can access. So that is a little bit about you know, what timeout is. Right now we're focused on collegiate athletics. Um, but like you said, you know, we're really expanding our network, uh, getting into the in-person components of this holistic approach to mental health. And I'd love to talk to you um, just because this is a podcast that definitely focuses a bit on gaming, but I would love to talk to you um, how you're planning to expand into other high pressure environments in general. And if you've thought about working with esports athletes or kind of anything that you might have learned from seeing different competitive environments like esports compared to traditional sports environments. I guess like how are you planning on using your knowledge and expertise in newer environments, particularly ones that might be more on the tech video game kind of side of things? In terms of expanding into other environments, there are two different approaches that we've been planning and really working on. The first component is with our content, our original content. And this is something that we're working on, we're beta testing and hasn't been as much in the public. Essentially on the athlete app side, the first thing that you would do is take a really brief survey and have your background information to understand what type of athlete that you are, including your sport, whether you're, you know, in esports or if, you know, you're in a different um, field. And that survey really sparks the algorithm for the recommended resources, right? We're, we're taking a bunch of data that exists already in, in terms of personality type, risk factors, and we're recommending an array of different tools. And one of those is content that we're creating. And we're starting with a pathway or a playbook for specific instances, specific mental health barriers like depression, anxiety, eating disorders. And those are the tools that are being recommended to each individual. So as we've done our research so far, different sports typically experience different rates of different mental health crises. So for example, track athletes have high rates of eating disorders. And when you look at e-gaming, those individuals have high rates of suicide and depression, right? Because of certain factors. So depending on what they're inputting in that first triage process, we're recommending pathways for them. And that really includes, you know, that content, 
as well as those in-person resources. And um, that leads to the second thing, you know, the, one of the pillars at Timeout is our Timeout community, where we're talking to high-performing individuals from all different fields who want to represent our brand and come together and speak about their mental health journeys and finding specific communities and, I guess, elite faces, spokespeople in their field to say, hey, this was my journey. You know, this is something recommended in our timeout community. It kind of mirrors the the process of group therapy without calling it group therapy, where you can find your community and then talk about those those common mental health barriers together. But it is recommended to you to get you to the right place. So part of this, I'm going to circle back to is something that I've heard you mention a couple times now, but yeah. clinical research has seems like a huge part of the strategy. Um, and I am I'm a big research junkie. I actually also switched out of biology into a major called decision science, which was very much about you know neurology and decision making and psychology kind of all mixed up with stats. So decision trees and decision pathways are something I'm super familiar with. I love it. Um, and so what it's sounding like to me is you're, you're taking your time kind of building up something where people can have a very individualized experience based on the content that you're actually putting on the platform. I'm very familiar with the like move fast and break things in tech. This seems like a very different approach that's like very do the research first and kind of move forward in that. How has that been kind of from the tech startup angle, building a tech company with this sort of really heavy clinical research background? Have you found that partnerships, collaborations, they're willing to kind of jump on for the long haul and they see the long-term vision? Are you finding it sort of difficult to explain, hey, we're taking our time and doing the clinical research part? Like, what has it been like being in kind of this tech startup mental health overlap Venn diagram world, but doing it in a way that's very opposite of how tech companies are kind of typically grown? Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic question. And something that we really talked a lot about as a team at the beginning of this, right, we realized, you know, this is a huge idea coming from so much, so much research, it's going to take a while to create something that's beautiful. And on top of that, this isn't like another DoorDash, right? This is mental health where lives can be at risk. So talking about this holistic strategy, we really broke up the services that we can offer that will lead into a phased approach to our technology and our research. One of the services we offer, which we've launched and are, are working on with one university is called our program evaluations. I watch a lot of master classes. I love that platform. And I can't remember his name, but he talks about sales, right? When you go to a customer or a patient or a client, the first step isn't problem solving, it's problem curation. Asking the right questions, coming from a third party that's non-biased to understand where our people are starting the system holistically is the first step while we're developing the technology. This research approach, we are working on a year-long research study with version one and getting an idea about version two, right? That takes time, that takes energy, that takes resources. And it's in a way is this fast iterative approach, but not in terms of launching to the public. So while we're working on the services that we can offer, building the community, getting feedback on the ground, we're also developing the technology in the background and building those relationships with those universities. So, you know, we're going to be testing with Arizona State. That's a huge university for an entire year. You know, we get an idea of, you know, what that looks like in a controlled environment so that when we do release certain features, 
it, it kind of is that, you know, testing outside of the controlled environment. You know, it, it will take a while. Um, and because this is so new, you know, we're willing to take that time. When you talk about those partnerships, um, they understand the investment, right? They understand that what they're doing right now isn't working. And it's going to take you know, really investing time and energy in finding out what works in those environments and taking a risk on the companies that, you know, sincerely have their best interests in mind. And I think that's, you know, where they're coming from is some things can happen immediately, like the services, and then some things we'll have to take our time with. The, this is um, so interesting from the university perspective, because I don't typically have people who run startups who are going kind of this route when it comes to funding and partnerships. It tends to be a mm -hmm. lot of kind of VC investments and and more of that fast moving um, energy and environment. And it's very refreshing to have someone who is still moving fast, but also balancing that with moving with intention and taking the time to properly research. So I think it's it's kind of a good balance because um, I don't want to discount the fact that you're also at the same time building and launching and testing an app, um, but that you're able to kind of counterbalance that with doing loads of clinical research to try to improve the product as it's coming out. Absolutely. When it comes to the app development process, definitely parallels between what you're doing at timeout and in game development. One of those big parallels is in the platform you chose. And you've already mentioned that you wanted something on the phone just to be able to constantly have it by to be able to pull it up in private when you have a moment to do so. Um, obviously, the time we spend on our phones, whether it's mobile gaming, whether it's social media, it's just increasing and increasing. We all have this thing called screen time now. Two questions. The first, why did you choose the mobile platform? Obviously, accessibility is one of the huge reasons. Um, but like I said, as we balance that with we need less screen time, <laughs> uh, how are you thinking about using that mobile platform? And then the second is tell me about the benefits that kind of keep you on mobile. So as you move forward in more research, what are you seeing about using a phone app that has been encouraging and exciting? We were thinking at the beginning of this, why not a web-based platform? You know, what what is the best window to capture our audience and make sure that, you know, we're creating an experience that is not just, you know, clinically helpful, but also visually stimulating and brings that level of comfort, right? And just thinking about the younger generations, looking to your phone for resources is an instinct, right? That instinct is, okay, like, I, I can grab my phone and I so much comes up, but the key is finding something that's trustworthy and reliable. When you look at, you know, React Native and iOS apps, it allows us to do a ton on the cyber cybersecurity side and within our own control, right? I know you mentioned screen time and that was actually one of my first, I guess, barriers that I had to overcome, uh, especially when pitching to schools and investors and grants. However, our approach and what we're encouraging athletes and high performers to do is to use the app to overcome the barriers so that they can get in person. You can't have a mental health app where there's no human element. I truly believe that just from the nature of, of psychology, right? Especially with CBT, DBT, IPT, those deeper levels of intervention, they, they need to happen with a professional where there's human interaction. And there was a ton of research over COVID where providers were talking about the benefits of teletherapy, but also how certain social cues you just can't pick up. Like even right now, you can't see my hands. If my legs were shaking, you wouldn't be able to see those, those details. So 
the whole purpose of the application is to say, hey, we've done this survey, this this program evaluation with the report to say, for some reason, you have providers, you have programs, but the, but the athletes aren't seeing the providers in person. Why not? Is it the scheduling process? Is it the communication process? Is it the in-person process? Like what elements are providing or are prohibiting them from help seeking? And what are contributing to suicidal risk factors? And ultimately, after they go through that journey, they will have the education of what to do next. So maybe I do join group therapy that's offered at my school, or maybe I do see this nutritionist that has their office at this location, or maybe I find someone else in a different network. Um, so I think, you know, those are the benefits. It opens the door for, you know, in-person um, interactions um, by overcoming those things that are digital or not digital that are are difficult to to get through right now. So it sounds like the approach here is kind of twofold, and I would I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. So the first is to have something that's kind of an immediate, not necessarily for when you're in crisis, but what, for when you're in a down moment and you need something to immediately flick through to help to maybe open up a tool or learn a tool or refresh yourself on a tool that helps you in that moment kind of recover and be able to move on in moments that again are not crisis moments and then the second part of it is learning your habits patterns and behaviors and connecting you to the specialists that can actually help in the long term and consistently improve or or help address the root causes of those habits and behaviors. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. And again, that is that's a piece of it for sure. And when we talk about the athletes app at least, we're calling ourselves a digital health health platform. We're not teletherapy, right? That's not our goal. Our goal is to take a system and and be a medical device, <laughs> quote unquote medical device into the system itself. And again, this is very early stages on what we've developed up to date. And we have version three in our minds that we still want to test. So, you know, if if we look at the range of risk from that first survey, you know, green, yellow, orange, and red, depending on those risk factors, where do we place people? And how do we communicate that within, you know, their system? So if you are, you know, green, you know, you have past the checklist. And it's a way to check in to see how you can become more mentally resilient. And that's where we're really trying to get people. There are no suicide risk factors. People have been on a great trajectory. How can they continue to relish in that maintenance phase? And then you get to yellow where you know there are some precursors. So what elements on the application can help you are specialized for you to be able to build up Um, those tools to be able to help yourself in those moments. And then when you get into orange and red, that's when, hey, you may need to be referred to licensed provider application, or you can hit the timeout button, which is crisis intervention. It's a range of different resources in the touch of a button where you don't have to guess for yourself. You kind of have an indication of, okay, you may need to be led in one direction versus the other. I like that crisis intervention is also a priority. One of the biggest issues with surveys is that people tend to not necessarily be honest with themselves and self-identification is really, really tough. So when you're talking about the these buckets and kind of different risk factors and different risk levels, and I, I know that this isn't as a simplistic process as it sounds, so I don't want people to get the idea that, you know, it's five questions and you're bucketed right away. Like, this is not a BuzzFeed quiz. There's there's clinical research behind it when you're actually getting put into these buckets. And I, I know that that's going to be an ever-evolving process. But how do you um, contend with 
the known fact that people tend to not self-select or self-identify on surveys um, with with patterns that they actually have. You know, one thing is the the inspiration for the survey is actually inspired by the International Olympic Committee. These are tools that are being used at the highest level already. And we're taking it and we're preserving it, but also adding other safety nets and other validity skills because no one wants to take a 50 question survey on an app that has all those validity skills built in, right? Unless it's telling me like how my horoscope relates to like what's happening when Mercury Mercury's in retrograde and like what friend's character I am. <laughs> exactly. Which <laughs> Harry Potter house I'm in. <laughs> right. Which we know. You know the important we, stuff. All <laughs> right. All of the above. Um, there are a couple ways we're looking at this and we're actually testing this right now for risk analysis, right? Because that's really the biggest question. First is, it's not that I want to admit we can't help everybody, but if we look at what's being done right now, at least for me, I never took a mental health survey the entire time I was at either universities, right? It's gotten better, but compared to what we have now, even asking the questions is better than where we're starting. So we realize we're not going to get the 100% truth out of people it's not a lie detector test. It's really there for them when they want to get the benefits out of it. We can't, you know, force them to to be honest all the time. And and we we write that in our studies, right? You know, these are qualitative, you know, surveys where we're we're not going to really know the truth no matter what. But over time and and the more data we do get, you know, the more that we can kind of wrap things up and and make better recommendations. The second thing is making sure that when every user logs in, there is a process on privacy and and data sharing, right? We have a message that says, you know, this is not going to be shared with anyone you don't want to see this. This is for you. This is 100% for you to get the value and understanding how you can be more mentally resilient and more mentally, quote unquote, tough. Saying that on the front end, and making them aware of like, okay, we're going to use your input for research, and you know that it's going to be for research, and this is going to be for you. So that that's really where we are right now. As we continue to grow and and you know obtain more participants and, and users, we'll get an idea of how to better ask these questions and how to encourage them to open up about you know how they're really feeling, but. There's so much work to do in general with surveys and assessments, right? Like this could happen in a doctor's office. It does happen in doctor's offices, but that's why we've built in other safety nets and other ways to get to that piece of the algorithm, um, you know, that they really need to to end up in. I actually recently read um, a paper on, I, I wish I could remember the new form of survey, but it was essentially to trying to get people more, more honest on political surveys. Questions were framed in a much different way. Like anyone who knows a Likert scale out there, the one yeah. through five, not applicable, yeah, yeah. fully applicable uh, scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, you're totally right. That's, you're totally speaking my language, my undergrad language here. So this body of knowledge, I clearly you have this great body of knowledge on psychology and psychological research uh, that is going into this app, which is awesome. But I want to also, and we talked about this a little bit, but I want to talk about the technical side. Because also at the end of the day, you're thinking about coding an app for phones, (laughs) Um, which is, again, Mm -hmm. not necessarily an easy feat, very different than the research portion. But what has surprised you about building up the tech side of this in terms of like 
actually physically building the app. Please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming you work with someone who codes it. If you also code it yourself, I'll be supremely floored um, just because <laughs> uh, just because that is, again, as someone who has a psych background, was never necessarily my jam. Um, but you could be a woman who does both, and I just wouldn't know. But what has that technical development process been like for you, especially since uh, we seem to be like-minded on this like psychological, very research-heavy kind of clinical side? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do not code. I wish I did. I have. I downloaded some of the apps like for like yep, ten year old Academy. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm on it. Have I have I opened it in a while? been a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm still a millennial. So I was coding in for my space. <laughs> right? Like, I, that's like, where? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, to be so transparent, the de- app development piece has been really, really difficult. I do have a business partner who, you know, was part of the original team of Hinge and understood at least the baseline of what it looks like. And what, you know, I was able to to really utilize his services for the advice. But in terms of assembling the team, putting everyone together, taking, you know, my original frames and boiling it down into an acceptance criteria, understanding which features to start out with, what to build from scratch, what to kind of take off the shelf. Those are a lot of things to consider and questions to ask. And the app development process has taken a little bit longer than anticipated, which it always does, right? You know, there are unexpected bugs and things will happen. Um, and that's to be expected. In general, I would say the value that even just a beta brings when you have the courage to take it to your customers and run focus groups is so valuable. The feedback that we're getting, that's usable. So, you know, it's it's been a journey for me to manage the expectation in my mind of what it should look like at this stage. And I think that's that's part of the journey, which is understanding where to go quickly and, and where to kind of take your time. One of our competitive advantages, and I know I'm kind of getting off the topic of the actual tech itself, you know, being quote unquote first to market was, you know, this has never been done and this app development takes a while. We're able to see other ideas emerge and kind of see where they falter and see how the you know, the public responds to certain things. And we've actually pivoted already in our development based off of, you know, what people have said about Cerebral or, you know, Talkspace or, or you know, similar ideas and an understanding, okay, you know, in this next build, where do we want to expand? Where do we want to pivot? And what kind of feedback are we getting in terms of the actual UI UX? It's hard. I will say it's hard and it takes a while. And we have had a lot of supporters, but I think in general, if you want to develop two apps in an admin dashboard, you may have to fundraise with VC in order for it to move at the pace that you'd like. But um, that's if you prioritize pace over process. That makes perfect sense. That actually leads me into kind of a different question. Well, it leads me into two mm-hmm. different questions, but I want to start with the question about uh, competition and what else is out there because there is obviously a bunch of mental health apps. Um, I, yours is already differentiating yourself because it's it's for a niche audience, but what mm-hmm. else is something special that you are finding from your feedback from your users that is really working about timeout? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, there are a ton of mental health apps out there. There are meditation apps, there are teletherapy apps, there you know, are sports psychology applications that are out there. Um, and emerging every day, it feels like. But looking at timeout as a process and a, and a platform 
that's bigger than just the application, I think is really important and how we present ourselves and how we differentiate within the market, which is we're not just launching a public app out there and saying, here you go, where the user logs in and goes through one journey. And then it's up to them to decide when they want to, you know, touch back in and go through, you know, a process. It's really self-guided. And I think that fundamentally is the issue with mental health and, and psych services already, which is how does the general public without any previous knowledge know what to do, what to look up, when to start and where to start, right? Like it's so hard unless you, you know, change your major to psychology or, you know, even if you follow the TikTok pages, like how do you know if that's right for you? Because it's such a subjective field. So the holistic approach of timeout is the differentiator. It's the fact that, you know, we're, yes, niche made for athletes by athletes. We understand from the high performer perspective of how we want this to be framed. Because we're not a clinical telepsych application, we have some liberty to have fun with some of the language, right? Where we can say, you know, we're not just, you know, put the dark filter on and throw a bunch of terms at you. And this is what depression is. It's very much like, hey, like, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you're in preseason and you have nothing left in your tank and everyone's crying and complaining, you know, and using sports metaphors, (laughs) you know, like. I'm in that as we speak, actually. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The tank is on E. The tank is on E. And, and, and using those types of sports metaphors and not to be cliche because that's the name of my other company. Um, but that is how we can really put the athlete in the center of the model and make sure that we're giving them this circular experience. Um, and not just for the athletes, but for the entire sports programs. And when I say, you know, we're the quote unquote medical device for athletic ecosystems, that's what I mean, right? It's plugging into the whole system. It's not just, here you go, we've launched this, good luck. That makes sense. Yeah. And I I think having that audience in mind is so important. I want to touch on something else you mentioned in that uh, previous answer as well about funding and investment. Um, I would love to know, because I know that you've done a lot with education and part of this with being sports programs, obviously things like the NCAA is is huge, um, professional sports organizations, amateur sports organizations, one day esports organizations as well. Oh yeah, Um, we're on our way. (laughs) We'll get there. Um, But what has your funding strategy been like? You don't have to go, you can go into as much detail as you want. Um, But I ask mostly because obviously we know what the funding world is like for women and women of color. It's even tougher. I have read those statistics on this show a bunch of times. But what has your experience been like? Have you found, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm assuming that you've gone to both, you know, kind of VC and investment firms, and then also gotten the education university side. What has been the difference in those two? Are you finding that people are receptive in in both lanes? Are you finding it difficult to overcome barriers in either of the lanes? Like what what has that been like? Yeah, well, I really appreciate this question because it's kind of one of those topics where 
unless you go deep into it, people just kind of assume that it's like been easy. You know, I don't know. Those are the conversations I've had where people are like, I have oh, the, the opposite assumption. Up. Like, oh God, poor Maya. Like, she's a woman of color trying to raise money. Like, woof. The communities I'm talking to, well, the people who aren't in it, right? The other other people who are entre- aren't entrepreneurs just see the progress and say, oh, she just came up with the money somehow. And, you know, I, I've even heard the opposite, which some people have said, this is the best time to be a black female founder because so much money is being given away. And I love to get into that conversation because we really started off by going after private um, grants and seeing, okay, that's what everyone was telling me. So, you know, what incubators could I get into that we were non-dilutive? And, um, you know, what, what are these fantastic grants that are out? And I got to a couple meetings and found a couple of these websites and for the amount of energy that it took to go through those programs and get those grants, they were only like $5,000 and $10,000 grants. That can only get you so far. And, you know, like the big name companies that are like, we're going to give a billion dollars or, you know, $200 million in funding. Those grants are really small for a lot of different people. And that's fine. That's just not sustainable for a a tech company, right? We need something much bigger. So, you know, for a while, you know, we were getting $25,000, $50,000 grants through pitch competitions, which, you know, I had someone on the team just, you know, sweeping the internet for, um, you know, mental health specific grants, uh, you know, black female founder specific grants and applying to as many of those as possible. You know, we did have um, a couple of friends and family who really, really cared about this. What I found is, you know, the idea was ahead of the head of the curve. So when people started talking about mental health, there were so many people who wanted to invest their time and energy into what we were doing. So, you know, that opened up some opportunity to fund some of the app development, some of the team salaries, which we've been incredibly lean up to this point. I still own 100% of the company, which is fantastic. We have kind of paused on our grant search at SBIR, Small Business Innovation and Research Grant or STTR, which is Small Business Tech Transfer Research Grant, something like that. Um, you know, that is a fantastic opportunity for for-profit companies who are in tech and research. It is a gamble, though, you know. So we are actually just now starting to look into VC options. Just kind of out of curiosity, I've been talking to VCs for years. Just, you know, hey, are you interested what would it look like? Um, we've protected our valuation. It, it really is to that point where if we do want to go quickly after this first round of research, uh, where we have the idea of, okay, we're good to go on version three. We just need the the human power to code it. That's where we'll negotiate with VCs and, and find a great partner. But we've been extremely patient on finding a good fit. Our dealing with data that's really sensitive and a community that we really care about. So we want to make sure that we partner with the VC, their mission and vision aligned. Um, they can bring people to the table within the healthcare field and keep the research going. And, you know, they're a long-term partner. So uh, we have tried lots of different routes. We're really, um, you know, adaptable and we're very diligent about how we move forward and how we invest in this idea. That is such a good holistic answer. I think like from from where you started to where you're going, I definitely want to like I hope that people out there who are building companies can take that advice and run with it. Uh, Before we get into our last segment, I want to kind of quickly summarize the conversation we've had so far. 
we started out with talking about timeout itself and how it's a tool to go to when a person may need a break. It started just for athletes, but has you've been working on translating it to bigger audiences, expanding into other environments, doing the research that makes that all possible. The first step that you mentioned, which I really like, is problem curation. I think that's a that's a very uh, intelligent way of putting it. You figure out what the issues actually are, it's easier to solve them. (laughs) So the starting mark for the app is a survey that helps put people into different categories depending on where they're at with their mental health. You're simultaneously figuring out what the problems that are there to solve and conducting in-depth research to build up that library and app content that can immediately help the people on the platform. So it's it's kind of a, a self-sustaining little ecosystem there. You know, the more people that come on and add and the more pathways that you can create, the more problems you can help solve and learn about. The app is meant to help people also overcome barriers to connecting to in-person resources. Deeper levels of intervention are important. You mentioned that for people who may be in those green and yellow buckets, who may be hopefully self-identifying accurately as, as being in a kind of good place they, they need more kind of retention, learning how to use the tools that they may already have, how to highlight them in situations where they need them. But for people in the orange and red categories may need help, first of all, identifying the barriers to getting in-person help and what those are. And secondly, actually connecting with the resources that are available to them in their environment to go out and seek out the help that they need from in-person. So you offer a range of different resources with the touch of a button, including crisis management through the timeout button, which I think is so great and so needed. The value that you've had through the beta app and the feedback that comes from it has been usable, which is great. I had someone on recently who said, I love failure because you don't learn anything from success. And I think that's, that's sort of it here. You know, you're looking for the people who say this is this, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or here's how you can fix this, or here's how you can fix that. And beta testing and launching is one great way to do that. Actually creating the tech has been a slower process than expected, which is also in a way expected because things do always take longer and building an app is hard. So, and then we ended with a a little conversation on funding. When it comes to funding, the grant process wasn't necessarily sustainable because of the amounts offered. This is a company that requires software engineers. Larger grants and other programs have made it possible to build the company, but you are thinking about entering into a VC strategy in the future to be able to speed up that build and launch process now that you've been kind of doing the research and getting everything ready on the back end for a while now. For you, finding a VC that's aligned with your mission is really key. And I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned both from the grant process that you mentioned and from the VC kind of search process, um, wage, wage, wading through those options and figuring out which one is right for you. So with all that in mind, I love to end on what I call a moment of reflection. It's a chance for you to look back on what you've done uh, and think about, you know, what you've built and what it was like. So what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the tech industry and being successful? Oh, I love this. Um, You know, it's so interesting that we're doing this podcast right now because I've given my team August off and tried to give myself August off. We're taking a timeout as a team. This is part of my timeout because I get to talk about what I love and and actually reflect on the progress you know that I've been able to make. And uh, for anyone who knows me, I'm uh, I'm a perfectionist, and I don't say that as in a bragging way. It's been something that's been really hard to navigate since I was an athlete. And younger Maya never really took the time to reflect on, you know, where she's been. She just kind of steamrolls through and just 
laser focused to the point where she couldn't take a time out. All of the money that we've raised and the products that we're building and the people we've connected to and the feedback, it keeps me going. But the thing I'm the most proud of is walking the walk and saying, you know, this is a hard profession. This takes a lot. It takes a lot of time. So it is okay to set things down and then let the dust settle to understand where to keep taking steps forward. I'm proud of that. Um, and I'm proud of, of my team um, that I put together. They're beautiful people. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I like that your advice is uh, to take a time out. I think that that is important and apt. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for coming on even in your off month. Um, where can people find you, follow you, check out Time Out? I will plug really quick that Time Out has a really nice website. I'm someone who designs websites for a living, so I really liked this one. Um, so check out the website. But Tell me everything about where they can find you, follow you, learn more, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Well, you can always find me on LinkedIn, Maya McClendon. Um, I, you know, have a lot um, in my chats, but you can actually book an appointment with me straight through that. Um, and I love to coffee chat with anybody. Um, you can um, follow us at timeout underscore IO on Instagram. Um, and we have, again, amazing team members who uh, you know, have the same same mentality as me and as much to offer. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, always follow us on our on our website. You know, we're officially launching our services, um, having a little launch party in September, and then you'll just be able to sign up for our newsletter. And that's um, the timeoutapp.com. So looking forward to connecting with anyone who's interested. Well, this podcast will actually come out in September. So everyone mark your calendars for the launch party or check out all the after materials for all the listeners out there. Also be sure to leave five star ratings and reviews. Check out other holodeck media podcasts, including meta business and business of esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. You can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. And you can catch this podcast in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.